to the latest episode of Weighed In. It is obviously post Arc weekend, and we have so much to debrief upon. And of course, the Arc de Triomphe was won by Alpinista and Samart Prescott, and he did the what we thought actually was the impossible. He united racing fans, basically, specifically on social media. There was a big love in Kevin. You were there at the Arc de Triomphe yesterday. Tell us what was the atmosphere like. How was it? Yeah, it was re- really good, really enjoyable, Vanessa. So I wouldn't say he united everyone. Um, James Knight definitely didn't enjoy it. But uh, everyone bar James Knight, I think, enjoyed it. <laughs> because, you know, Sir Mark's a bit of a legend, isn't he? I know every, it's obvious. You, you can poke holes at, at him and what he does and everything else. But he is just a very likable character in the main. Great man to listen to, tell stories, etc. And he's been around a long, long time, over 50 years, trying to get to a spot like that. And um, the mayor delivered. It was attritional. Uh, you know, I don't think the atmosphere may have been dampened, literally, because there was quite a heavy shower of rain in the, for, in the prelims and kind of during, etc. But, um, yeah, plenty of people went out there to, to, to show their love. It was a, it was a memorable occasion. Uh, very much happy to have been there. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm literally just back. I'm just My flight was delayed. I'm here sitting in Upper Crust in uh, in Dublin Airport talking to you. <laughs> I've jumped off a flight literally about seven and a half minutes ago. So there we go. Well, it's a good effort from you, Kevin, to be fair. But it's what we've come to expect. And, you know, you are paid enough. So it's good that you've shown up, even in Upper well. Crust. <laughs> um, Tony, tell me, you were like me watching it at home on the telly. Did you get swept up in the emotion of some Art Prescott after holding a training license for 53 years, winning the Arc de Triomphe? Not really, no. <laughs> uh, I, um, 101, No, but come on, mate. I'm not going to decry that performance. It was, um, you know, the thing that really made it for you, it was like his humility and he, he seemed to be quite humble in, in victory, didn't he? And I don't know whether he was just shocked or overwhelmed. So I think I always I always warm to that, uh, that emotion rather than the, the lunatics of the Platinum Queens. I mean, I'd, I'd rather be one gym behind him on a Sunday afternoon. That geezer was on the floor on his knees. Who was he? Was he just part of the syndicate? Yeah, yeah, he was, I think he was, but he seemed to have some more involvement than just part of the syndicate because didn't he name her or he saved the name? So he's obviously got a bit of long-standing interest, but um, there was definitely two different styles of celebration shown in Group 1 races in France. Yeah. In terms of the actual race, like we can all admire Sir Mark and that is going to be well touted in the press and, you know, in the aftermath for sure. But... Um, Focusing in on the actual performance itself, Tony, mm. it's probably not a vintage Art de Triomphe, but she couldn't have been more impressive winning it as a performance. Um, well, throughout the race, you know, she, she looked like she was actually going to gag up, um, but allied to the way that she travelled, she obviously really, really dug deep. Now, I haven't read, but I, I deliberately haven't read anything in the aftermath there. But I'm surprised that I haven't seen, and I haven't even seen this on social media and Twitter either. I mean, we always remember when Honeysuckle wins her champion hurdles, beating Charger by three and a half lengths, getting seven pounds. Nobody's mentioned the fact that, you know, Alpinista, I thought someone might say, oh, Alpinista wasn't even the best horse at the weights, given you know, the sex allowance, et cetera. So that is slightly surprising. But you do get the impression that she was, Hate horrible phrase, isn't it? Value for more than the half length, uh, you know, victory given the way she traveled throughout the race. But 
Absolutely. Um, you know, given the, the draw bias throughout the throughout the meeting, you know, last year's winner ran an absolute screamer from stall 18 in, in a in, in a race dominated by low law numbers. So if you ask me to take one horse out of the race, I know everyone's gonna go about Alpinista, but and again, I because of the you know the you know the the the, the nature of which kind of like um, some Mark Prescott's victory was was achieved. I think the the run of the third pretty much got overlooked. I mean, run that race again, switch the draws around. I think you get a distinctly different uh, different answer. But yeah, um, surprised uh, that that didn't get more uh, airtime. Surprised that the the old days chestnut of the sex allowance didn't get uh, didn't get. Um, it didn't get more, uh, more, you know, more notice, and also, and I, I flagged it up. I, mean, I was watching at home, like you, and I was watching the Betfair market. I mean, I mean, that horse was, was five to one, you know, in the morning, about five point nine or whatever, and just the money for Alpinista late on was. I don't know whether it was her draw in four or the way that racing was panned out before then, but she. Were, I've never seen a horse like, like just collapse in such a well-established market right near to the off like that. I mean. There was, I think it must be one person driving the market because there was literally five, 13 and a half grand unmatched trying to get on Alpinista at 4.3 at the off wow. uh, when she was like seven to two on the show. So, you know, someone got unlucky or lucky you know, mm-hmm. with, with that, with her victory. But yeah, um, well, we'll come on to, to Mark Prescott in a minute because he's not, he's not universally loved. I mean, he's, He's a slight Barney Curley character um, in, in the way he's he is uh, kind of like received by certain sections of the the betting uh, pub, uh, population. But we'll come on to that in a moment. But yeah, as regards result, look, so even an old curmudgeon like me, I, it was it was quite heartwarming. Well, let let's talk about the Semark factor now, then, um, because you know you say he's not universally loved, and of course he no, is he is controversial in some ways, in more than one way for sure. But I guess the the thing is, is from my point of view anyway, it's like I've been a massive fan of his for a while. I adore this man. In terms of why I was so pleased for him is, or why I'm such a big fan of his, I suppose, is it it comes back to the thing we've talked about on this podcast before in various different, on various different subjects. I'm just a big one for a character in this game and we need the characters. And he's a huge character. You don't have to love him. You don't have to hate him. Can be indifferent about him. But he's a great character of the sport, and it's it's a bit akin to when we were talking about. I can't even remember which jockey it was a little while ago. It's like if he was in my generation, he wouldn't have been able to be. He wouldn't have been allowed to develop into the character he is now. He is today because the world that we live in now, this woke world, dare I say, it doesn't allow for people to be that different and controversial. We're not allowed to say we like bullfighting. We're not allowed to say we like half the things he's into, and rightly so in so many ways. But what I'm saying is he's one of the last great sort of real characters cut from a completely different cloth than anybody in my generation will ever be able to develop into. And that's why I just, you know, God forbid, when he's gone, we'll never have another like Sir Mark Prescott. There just won't be another one like him. You know, half the trainers up and down the country are all carbon copies of each other. And it gets a bit tiresome from time to time, whereas he's just completely different. And I get it. Not everyone loves him. But I'm all about a character, Kev, and he's one of the biggest ones out there in our game. 
No, I'd be, I'd be with you, Villa. I'd be the same. I always enjoy listening to him because he's different. We talk about it all the time. We we have an absolute vacuum of personality in our sport, um, especially among some of the younger protagonists, because there is just this such a giant fear of offending and being wrong, etc. Whereas yeah. some lads like him, they're just, they're just a bit different. They've always been happy being different, and you know they, they've, they've gone over that hump. And now people are they're just embraced because they're different. Um, and it like it's highly unusual. And I think what, what Tony alluded to there is really relevant, you know, the humility of it. Because I think like Sir Mark is a is a student of the game, you know, he's well aware of his own age, you know, the length of the career he's had, and how many trainers of his vintage end up with the best horse they've had at that age, at that stage of their career. It doesn't happen. It's a game where top trainers tend to finish on the downgrade or even whittle away to nothing. You know, that's the most common outcome for trainers, even, you know, tip top trainers. There's a whole heap of them knocking around now still that were yeah. much greater powers a couple of decades ago. And it just whittles, you know, it's an, it's a fashionable game. Um, the flockers, I think is, is what, as a term, one, one new market trainer coined for uh, these owners that flock to the, the newest, uh, the newest, um, hottest young trainer and away from the established. Uh, so I think he acknowledges the, 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 the unlikelihood of what's happened for him and for yeah. to play play out on that stage, you know, in that race of all races, you but know, also, I think was, was very special. Well, and you touch upon the, the owner angle there. You know, it's it's a win for everyone saying, you know, it's a win for a great character of the game, but it's not just the character. It's, it's a win for like commitment, dedication and complete loyalty to a team. Yeah. You know, you look at what Kirsten Rousing's done. I say commitment and dedication. I refer that to her breeding program and what she's done with Lanway Stud and then her loyalty to Sir Mark. Again, those are features and characteristics we just don't have anymore in 2022. And yet yeah. there they are and they got the result. And that's why it was so special. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, minor parallels to to Franco and John Bont and Henry Cecil. You know, this yeah, this, yeah, this mayor this mayor clearly is with Franco but from that point of view. You know, a trainer that that was gone for all intents and purposes, and John Bont stuck with him and ended up with this just most magnificent horse. You know, uh, in the in the autumn of his life, and yeah, it it, it was a feel good story for sure, and I can I can understand why it really seemed to resonate with so many people because something like that, it's just really rare. And um, and she's a special mayor as well, a mayor that probably hasn't got credit for most of her career, you know, doing it internationally. Uh, this is not really heavy, but international group ones, you know, she was a big example with her. And um, what is it? She's won her last, what, six starts of group ones? You yeah. know, it's a very, very unusual thing. I think, you know, to cap it off at Longchamp on that day. Yeah, brilliant. And... Kevin, just a final word to you on the arc itself in terms of aftermath of losers. Obviously, Tony's already touched upon potentially the horse to take out of it, given the draw was Tarkado Tasso. Um, Vadini obviously ran an absolute belter, but any other fallout that you'd like to mention before we move on from the rest of the field? Yeah, second and third ran huge, didn't they? Yeah. Um, Lux Luxembourg did, but disappointing. But uh, but uh, you know, an excuse Injured. emerged pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, he was he was laying back in the race course stables, um, and normally when they when they're laying that quickly, you know, you're dealing with uh, you know quite a, a significant injury. So I'd say he, he's extremely sore this morning, um, mm -hmm. muscular injury, but back around his hind end. So um, he's done for the season. Um, well, I, did, I, I don't know. I was at the track. I was a bit detached. I don't know if they confirmed 
that he would be back next season or if that, if that's a decision to be made later. Um, they left it open-ended, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah okay. that, wasn't, that wasn't confirmed or denied, yeah, was it? it? It would be great to see him back. You feel like you know, he's, got a, he's got a big CV already, but you feel like there is unfinished business, even uninterrupted. He, he, sorry, he didn't interrupt the preparation this season and you, you'd love to see him back again to show us the full extent of what he can do because this was a kind of an unsatisfactory and an unfortunate finish to his campaign. Um, but yeah, like like that, that was there was a few disappointments. You know, I felt for the Japanese, um, they just did they just didn't show up. Unfortunately, they did some what seemed to be some very strong contenders, and um, and they they ran poorly the whole lot of them. Um, so sad to see that um, the Japanese presence on the track again. You know, nothing to compare to the Deep Impact year, but they were they were very much a presence there. And you know, you just watch them. I I, I just I just love them, you know, because you, you watch the horses going out there and they get they get so excited. You know, genuine fandom which we don't do very well in racing in, uh, in Europe I think it's fair to say um, and you'd love to see them get their reward and when it eventually comes that I would see it as an inevitability and I, I said it to someone yesterday like I could see them winning like three or four the next ten arcs which probably seems like a big statement considering they've never won it to this point but I think that's the way the world is moving and, and when it eventually happens for them I'll, I'll be absolutely delighted Oh yeah, and it seems like now, given like the build up to this year's art, there's a real rush on to, to to be the first Japanese horse. You know, the connections are all mad to be the first one to win an arc. So they're gonna keep throwing darts at the board. Uh, and like you say, it's surely an inevitability. Let's move on from the Arc de Triomphe because there's loads of other stuff to get through today. Uh, and we shall flip back to Saturday's action, but let's stick in Paris. Um Kiprios winning the Prix de Catrantoni in Pretty extraordinary style, I think it's fair to say. Uh, were you alarmed in the closing stages? Well, you think he might just stop kind of like Fontwell style there, <laughs> might you? you know, I don't know if he's looking for stables or whatever, but it was, it was a strange race to get a handle on. Obviously, you know, it's a rarity for novice hurdles, the maiden hurdles to be won by 20 lengths. That had a great uh, group one race, but yeah, obviously, quick form massively underperformed. Um, I bet Tashcan each way in the race, and he was beat about four furlongs out. I thought he was more of a candidate for second last than, than, than third place for much of the race. So I don't think he ran his race, and the second came in there on the back of a, a handicap win at Vichy and was massively exposed. Um, probably a late 80s kind of like rated horse. So I don't know what to make of the form, but obviously to, to destroy the opposition, and apparently the time was quite good as well. So um, perhaps what we just saw was an extraordinary performance in, in, you know, obviously in deep ground. And I think they were saying, you know, lost a shoe, but uh, I'd be interested to see, you know, what they say when it comes to light. But um, it was an extraordinary and baffling um, performance in, 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 this, in the same context. Yeah, like you say, it was sort of exactly that, extraordinary and baffling in, in different ways. Not only the distance he was going to win the race by, a Group 1 race, a Group 1 staying race, but also the big swerve at the end. And Kevin, you've been a big one for always saying this horse only really does enough. I think you've probably said it on the podcast that he's neither going to win by too far. Well, they tried to make a win by plenty far enough. And he said, no, thanks. I don't like this style at all. Um, I, I'm getting the impression from what was said post-race by um, Aidan O'Brien. He did some excellent post-race interviews that this horse really is just quite an extraordinary stayer and one to be very, very excited about if you're not already. I should have to, you know, and he's he spent the, season, the whole season really not 
perhaps getting full credit, you know, with, with the the abundance and absolute eruption of excuses that tend to come from behind him each and every place he ran this season. And this was the first time we didn't have that. And yeah, it was remarkable. Like it's, it's I've never seen that happen at Longchamp that I can recall. Um, and to do that and still win by 20 lengths, like that's kind of freaky stuff, isn't it? Like you do, you do wonder about the rest in behind. Like they've just run absolute blobs the whole lot, and probably, but um, he's just he, he pulled them into very, in a very uncomfortable place, and they, they weren't capable of uh, of showing anything like what what they would usually be. So um, you have to give him full credit. You know what a campaign he's had. Um, I think that there's half a chance. I hear there's half a chance of him going again somewhere. The, the, the potential of a drop back in trip was again raised, I believe. But um, yeah, if, if this horse stays right, it was you know what's going to beat him in the same division. He's clearly some, a very it? very quirky horse because you look at him early. He was really being rousted along, and mm. uh, he's clearly a quite a difficult ride. And, and Ryan clearly gets on well with him. But um, I think some some I think they must have been having a joke, and some people say because. Uh, because um, Luxembourg's not going to go for the British Cup now. Maybe Kipros will go over there, but no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't like to see him on quick ground on a turning track over a mile four. No. Yeah, well, they tried them in cheap pieces last season at one point, but um, they took them off fairly quickly. You know, you wonder would they consider them again at some point? But um, I think in more in more orthodox conditions, he's he's just fine. You know, he takes a bit of riding, he takes a bit of rousting, but once once he's up and traveling, he's fine. And you know, true Shan is a, is a tip topper, especially on soft ground. You know, but can he beat this fella? No. You know, you'd, you'd like to see it on soft ground just to see, but I think this fella is 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 very very good. True Shan's still rated higher than him. I don't know if they could do whatever they want with his rating after this. <laughs> they can put him higher than Frankel if they wanted to. Um, but uh, I suspect that I suspect they'll probably take a low view. But uh, it, there, it would seem not quite right. If for all Trushan was it was brilliant in the, the Northumberland plate, etc. I think it, it wouldn't be quite right if um if Kiprios didn't finish the season as the champions there. No, I'm thinking he deserves that title really now at this stage and to get the plaudits that he's kind of missed as the season's gone on due to distractions elsewhere with horses being non-runners and the Stradivarius whole situation. Stradivarius out the way for him now. Time to applaud a proper stayer in Kiprios. Um, let's move on, Tony, to the other Group 1 uh, on Saturday that we want to cover, which, of course, was the Sun Chariot. And one at a big price for your favourite jockey, Neil Callan. Mm-hmm. Take it away, please. Yeah, I'm not going to backtrack, but, I mean, it'd be pretty juvenile and churlish of me not to not to recognise a, you know, obviously a very good win for, for Neil Callan. And I think about, again, the... The Betfair market got it bang on with Fontaine again. I mean, the two horses, the two form horses clearly didn't run their race. We know that Saffron Beach returned with a dirty scope, but Homeless Songs has gone totally the wrong way after, after the yeah, Irish Yeah, big style. But um, yeah, Fontaine, it, it was twenty. It was like 40 in the morning, um, 28 to 16 is on the show, and the show is always driven by the Betfair market. So Someone got, you know, someone got very, very uh, lucky there. But I mean, like fair play to Neil Cannon, like I said, I've taken the piss out of him or whatever. But, um, you know, that's a big payday for him with um, with Andrea Sandy going freelance now after splitting up with um, splitting up with the owner. Um, you know, it's important victory for Cannon you know, to get, get his, keep his name out there. I mean, you know, it's, it's very, obviously we had, you know, I don't think he's much of a stylist, but then again, the same with Luke Morris as well. But 
like you said, when they win the group ones, uh, we didn't we didn't touch upon the jockey when we were talking about Alpinista and you made a point and Kevin made a point about loyalty. And when we when I was going through the running order for this, I had loyalty rings uh, there. And, you know, like I say, not many, you know, Luke Morris, he does get the piss taken out as well for his style. I mean, like I said, when you back one of his horses, you're never looking at the, you never know, no need to look at the colours, is there? Because obviously, you know, his unique style of riding, but uh, I did. I did some work for him for two, with two or three years, just ghosting one of his columns. And uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, well, he doesn't seem too happy in himself. He's not, you know, shouting and screaming and doing a sumi on, pointing to the crowd and pointing to me." But that's the kind of guy, in my experience with him, just over the phone. He's just a very kind of like flatline guy. Gets a job done. The quite, you know, very trustworthy, very level, uh, and that's probably why Sir Mark Prescott. You know, gets on so well with me. We will know. We know that. So when Sir Mark Prescott puts his puts his faith in a jockey, he sticks with him with the likes of George Duffield and stuff. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm. You know, I, I was delighted for Luke. Like I said, I, I wouldn't say we've kept in touch since we we stopped doing the column about a couple of years ago. Occasionally, one text here and there. But um, he's uh, no. I was as delighted for him as much as the trainer. Just very briefly coming back to why I said uh, Sir Mark Prescott was with Marmite. Is and I. I always think he's a bit of a wasted talent. Um, and I text someone today. I said, would that be unfair if I said that? And he said, no, no, not at all. Because, you know, he does muck around with his two-year-olds, getting them well handicapped. And sometimes I just think he's too clever for his own good. Now, when he gets a good one, he does know, you know, and he gets an early one, he does know. The, I look back at some of his horses, um, you know, like Sir Hooray and the Cheaply Park winner and things like that. So, and Confidential Lady, you know, one of, one of French Oaks. So when he gets a good one, he does know. I just liked for him to kick on a bit rather than just playing the game to try and be a bit too clever. I just think if you look back and he's he made a point, he's just saying, I regret is not winning an English classic. And he's 74 now, and he's you know, he's he's probably that ship has probably sailed. Um but I just wonder if he'll look back and just say that if I'd have kicked on with some of these horses a bit earlier, maybe, maybe I could have got something to to Newmarket and to, got something to Epsom with, with, with a decent chance. And it was quite funny. I was looking through some of his old handicap that was really, uh, really progressing to really good horses. And I just going through my head and just fit, trying to think about them. And it was like, it made me look at, I thought of Pasternak, obviously, who developed into a really, really good horse. I look, that Pasternak, after three runs over seven furlongs as a, as a two-year-old, went off at eight to 11 in a Hamilton handicap of Marcus 75. I got stuffed last of five. And I just think that, you know, that kind of, when it goes right, everyone lords him. But when it goes wrong, um, that's going to be quite costly that day for some people. But no, he's a brilliant trainer. But I just wonder whether he'll look back and just think, yeah, should I really focus on the big races rather than getting one handicap off 50 or 60 and then going on a winning run of eight? But uh, no, but wow. that's, I, I, that, was just, that was just something that occurred to me. That's all. For sure. And, it's, you know, I think lots of people, to be fair, would have your view, TC, because he is such a talented trainer. But I guess it's different strokes, different folks, and he's got his kicks by doing it the way he's done it. No, for I, I, I imagine he'll get more enjoyment out of about knocking up an eight-timer, especially yeah, yeah. the older, obviously, for, for an owner, than, yeah. than just getting one placed in a... You know, in a, in a classic as he as he has done uh, before, and yeah, like Gumphrey, he's had some really good horses. I can't remember the name of the horse now. Oh, Red Camellia, that's another horse, a, a good two year old he had at, at finished uh, third in a in a French Guineas. But um, yeah, like I say, he's he's obviously a, a great character, and 
a raconteur, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, I think that was one thing that occurred to me that you know people people in the mainstream probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't yeah. pick up on, uh, especially at this juncture. Yeah. Um, Kevin, thoughts on the Sun Chariot? In all seriousness, obviously we've referred to the Neil Callan, and it, it, to be fair, like Tony said, it is it's excellent for him at this point in his season to take a Group One at this point in his career, I should say given that he's, you know, back riding in the UK and he wants to be riding in these Group 1 races. But in terms of the performance, I can't say even in reflection I could have seen that coming from what that filly had done up until now. And, of course, I think Laurel is the most exciting, goes kind of an obvious thing to say, but second place Laurel looks the most exciting one to take out the Sun Chariot. Um, sure, look, I, I think that would be the that would be the natural view to take, Vanessa. Like, look, the three form fillies all around blow themselves you know, quite a bit in most cases. Um, so it's natural to question it. Um, Laurel, I thought, ran a race full of promise, but you, you don't want to take too much away from the winner either. You know, you, as, I, as I'm as i often heard to say, you, you want to see them do it again, ideally, before you go too heavily into it. But yeah, we'll take the form forward with caution, but we won't, uh, we won't reduce too much to what was achieved. Yeah, I mean, just coming back to that Laurel, that traded at 1.12 in running, she looked as though she was, you know, you know, gagging up at one point, didn't she? So, you know, I'm just a third start, step up to Group 1 from Novice Company. Laurel clearly ran a huge race. Yeah. Um, let's move on to some of the other action domestically. Uh, the Ben Goff Stakes at Ascot was won by the legend that is Rohan, uh, held up like usual and then sort of sliced through the field and won at his beloved Ascot. I mean, this horse, uh, Tony, let's go to you for this. He's now 5-1 to one from 7-1 to one for the champion sprint on Champions Day. And I mean, he's rated 113 going into this. He's going to get a couple of pounds, you would have thought. Mm. And I've worked out that that means if he, go, if he goes up to 115, he'll have climbed 60 pounds in the weight since when he won on Handicap Debut or 55. Well, like, what, well, what the hell? It is incredible. One, one, you know, that fire to one might not be unattractive because he's likely to get a bit of dick in the ground. He's 45 yeah. at Ascot. And yeah. obviously, Highfield Princess is going to go for the Breeders. Um, and what and I like you, I went back and have a look at his form. And when you know, when Highfield Princess was like you know, winning all the group ones, they're saying, Yeah, I think she won off a offhand, I think it might be 57 or something. And people were saying, What other horse has come from a mark in the low, low, uh, low 50s to win group ones? Well, you know, Rohan could well be the next one because that one off a mark of 55, we bought out of George Scott's for 20 grand in October 2020. Uh, and one off a mark of 55, uh, you know, and just that was in December 2020. Yeah. You so know, we're, less than, we're less than two years on. They've improved yeah, I mean, like, 60 for, pounds. But for, for everyone, you know, for the high full princess, read Rohan. And like Rohan's probably going to have his ground. You know, he acts well, well at the track. Um, I'm not sure what the big gun sprinters are going to go there. But outside of high full princess and obviously Minzow's injured. Um yeah, I mean, I, I might have a good look at that race because I'm assuming they're going to go there because why wouldn't they? Um, what's he? What's going to turn up and, and rattle his cage there? Yeah, uh, well, you just know he's going to, like like you've touched upon there, all the points you've made. And his beloved Ascot, like he's he's a proper course and distance specialist there. Um, he's a solid option, I think. Yeah, I, like to, I, yeah. I, I haven't had a good look at the race, but... You know, like I say, it, it, I won't say five to one's a good price to have a look at the race, but there's not many I can name off the top of my head that I'd fancy more than him. 
No, I can see that completely. I, I, I suppose um, I suppose one note of caution is that one time that he didn't win an Ascot yeah. was in this race and his connections fell, he like ran quite badly and his connections fell, he said, end of a long season, you know, flat. Yes, and, yeah. and, he, and, he, and he's had a long season here, but in fairness, he's probably, he's at a, at a greater fever pitch now than he was this time last season going into it. So it's yeah. just something to bear in mind. But he clearly loves the place, you know, so the finish, etc. really plays to his style. And yeah, mm. good luck to him. An older, stronger horse now as well. You might think that he might take his racing a bit better this season, but that is probably a note of caution. Older, stronger um, horse. You've been listening to two of those jumps previews. Oh, I've been, I've been glued to them. I've been absolutely, yeah, I've been oh, absolutely man. glued to them. No, you it know did really well. well over the summer. Loads we've of grass. A, we've, I'm, I've, I've been really backing the no jumps chat until after Champions Day. Signage, no, we're, so. you're, you're buggered on that front because I've just had a look. There's there's ten races on ITV on Friday, and Chepstow is the, the first Foley War of the season starting at Chepstow on Friday on ITV. Lovely, lovely. Ten races um, on Friday. I've never known you can knock the ITV content as much as you want, but the output is phenomenal. I've never known ten races on a non-weekend day ever. ITV, BBC, credit to them. We need it. We need it. We do. Um, uh, quick mention, let's rattle through a few of the other performances from the weekend. C. La Rosa won the pre-Royal Lou um, for Tom Mark on William Haggis, obviously. Um, did it really well in the end and now looks to be dropping back for the Phillies and Mares on Champions Day, of which she's been cut to 6-1 to one from 8-1, to one, Kevin. But of course, the drama in the race was sort of in the build-up and then with the disappointment of Very Elegant. Your reflections, please. Yeah, the French, French handicapper was strutting around the place like one of the Bee Gees, wasn't he, after this? Excuse me, Mr. Australian, you wanted to run that mare in the Arc de Triumph? <laughs> I mean, he really, yeah, I mean, the drama and the build-up, the drop, and oh my goodness. Like, uh, and can I yeah. just ask you then, what, what, what is going on with her, seriously? I mean, obviously, there's two lines of thought here. That she wasn't as she's not as good as everyone thinks she is with all those Australian group ones next to her name. And the Australian group ones at that trip are just poo-poo, or she hasn't transferred her form over to Europe. Now, of course, most sensible people think it's the latter option, but there are people out there who genuinely just don't think she's very good. Ah, no, look, I, we, I take the mix because I, I, I've got a dog in the fight as such with my Australian friends. But oh. <laughs> in fair, she just, even before she came over, I don't think she'd quite look the same. You know, some of those group ones over there, all joking aside, like, like really, really shouldn't be group ones. Um, my old favourite stat, there's literally more group ones in Australia than, um, than Britain, France and Ireland combined. Uh, and some of them just shouldn't have group one status. And she's just on the downgrade because guess what, lads? She's not a young one anymore. She's seven years of age and she's just not quite as good as she was. Um, the French handicapper was right to, to drop her rating. I feel he rated her on, on her last six runs. Now, mind, I, I do think they're entitled to feel hard done by because they like they didn't take account of the Phillies allowance when establishing the balloting order. And that's something that France do that, that no one else in this neck of the woods does. So I think they had a, they had a genuine cause to be upset and feel hard done by there because they, they, they created the balloting order on the basis of level weights when it clearly wouldn't have been level weights in the arc so they had a genuine case for feeling hard done by there but um, because of their Australians I, I just thought it was funny to be honest <laughs> just, getting, just throwing the boot in you just thought it was funny because Tim Carroll's absolutely having kittens <laughs> that, that's, that's the only reason anyone finds this funny is I don't think I've ever met him is he that easy to wind up in person 
I don't even know. Like, I've met him a few times. So like, yes, yes nice he is. Guy. I tell you what, I might even just go to Champions Day in a fortnight just to go and find him out and wind him up. Just give him a little poke. Yeah, um, they, maybe they should give uh, maybe they should give very elegant an entry in the Balmoral handicap. They might be dropped low enough to get into that nice big pot. I'll, I'll, I'll take a can of Guinness and a bag of prawns for him to give to him. Ah, <laughs> that's kind of you. Um, guys, let's move on. Just one lot thing about Cedar, Cedar Rosa. Okay, Vanessa, three wins. Where? How good is she? How the only good? time Cedar Rosa has been chinned, three wind laughter at Haydock. Do you know, I and she's didn't been injured, and what could have been? I didn't want to bring that up because I just feel like every podcast we're on, I'm referencing that bloody Haydock race. Like, mm. I'm just obsessed with free wind and that line of form. And, like you say, the only time she's been beaten is by that monster who's now, I hear she's out. She's gone, isn't she? Like, I think she's yeah, a yeah. Yeah, poor, old, yeah. poor old communication there, wasn't that? Yeah, bad well, communication. You wouldn't, you would have been falling over uh, some arc though, would you? Because free wind would have like chinned Alpinist by about four lengths, so she'd have been right. Nah, actually, it's free wind. Is that Kirsten Rousens? Uh, no, it's not. Is it? It's um uh, George Strawbridge. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. I always get yeah. confused with those colours. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Let's move on. Other things to talk about from the weekend. We should talk about the Abbey. It's not actually officially on our running order, but I think it was meant to be. Obviously, the Platinum Queen winning. For oh, I think someone might be coming into my champagne bar as we discuss this. Hopefully, my plumber's just pulled up outside as well. But okay, well let's keep moving. Let's keep moving on. Um, uh, Platinum Queen, obviously winning the Abbey, first two-year-old in however long. Kevin, you've been a big fan of this very, very fast filly for a long time, and what's not to love about her? Right, she's everything that sort of you'd want for a syndicate horse, and now she's going to win a Group One like that. It's pretty incredible, really. Yeah, she like she's really fast, and she showed she showed an awful lot of guts now because I think most people would have been very fearful about the ground. Um, I, I ended up hanging around a bit with the Midland Park people during the day yesterday. We happened to be in the in a similar sort of area, and uh, poor old Tom Palin there was an absolute wreck before the race with nerves. Um, so I, I think I, I I'm very I, I'm very fond of them as an operation. I think they they, they do a great job, and to, to to get a big one like that, and you, you know you saw the celebrations. It's such a departure from what we're accustomed to at Group One level, um, in this part of the world at least. So it was great to see them getting such a kick out of it. And she's a hardy filly, you know, she really is. She's fast, you know, on that ground. She needed to be really tough. I know uh, position wise, etc. She was probably in the right spot, but um, that was a tough performance from a from a from a two year old. And she look onwards, she goes. Uh, you know, you have to say it because I like I like to say it every year. You know, without question, the the worst visual spectacle of any Group One yeah. anywhere on the planet. It's an absolute joke. Every <laughs> like, single time, they get stick for it every year. And I don't actually know what angle you guys would have seen at home, but I know from the track they showed this ridiculous head-on angle for much of the race. And it, because I, I don't know because they're spread because, wide apart. Yeah, yeah, we got that at home oh, as well. Oh, it was so bad. You had no shocker. idea like, what, what was going like, on. Completely got... spoiled yeah. the race. You're, you're six you know, nautical miles away from it in the stands anyway. You're relying on that. And um, shocking. Like, like, come on, that's a big day. Not only that, it's one of the biggest draw races in the racing calendar as well. Yeah. Like, it's very French, isn't it? They, 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 get, they get so much right and then they just make an absolute hames of that. Like, and look at this one, it is. The track is far away, but Jesus, that spend a few quid on a few extra cameras and be, be a bit creative. Yeah. You know, they, they, do, they do cool stuff with drones there and what have you. They could make a better go, but surely. 
Um, but anyway, that's we should a side mention, note that we, that we say every year. But yeah, all, all credit to the Philly. Yeah, we should mention matter. that they looks like they're going to take the winner to the Breeders' Cup. I think they announced that on Monday morning. So yeah, yeah, gosh, you know, you, you, yeah, you'd like to think she's got a great set of tools for that. You know, she loves fast ground. A Philly like her that's all speed around the bend. You know, with a low draw. And look, America's different. You know, fast over there. You know, so it'd be fascinating to see well, what a job she's done. You know, they've been really yeah. punchy how they've campaigned her, you know, to supplement for the non-talk was really punchy and uh, to drive on and keep going here onto the Abbey and then onto America. Like, I'd love to see game campaigning rewarded uh, and this thing has just been an absolute dinger for them now. So delighted for, for all involved. Yeah, absolutely. I concur those thoughts. A couple of other horses to mention. Back to Group 1 action. Jean-Luc Lagardère went the way of Belbec uh, for Andre Farb. Another sort of, well, what was hailed on our channel as a terrific training performance from him. Obviously stepping this colt up in trip for the first time. Landing at Group 1. Then Tony immediately afterwards, which I was surprised about. Um, very quickly, they announced the Verton Futurity as being the next possible target, which you'd have to step up and trip again, obviously. But I mean, he's a bit of an unknown now up at the seven furlong mile division. Yeah, I suppose it it just goes to show what might have been if the Antarctica didn't get pulled out. Um, I think there was some, I don't know, behind the scenes argument about that because he pulled his shoe off and apparently the French vet said he was lame. So I'm not sure if there was any conflict about about what uh, what happened there. But obviously his previous form with, with the Antarctic suggests the Antarctic would have gone very close there. But yeah, it, it was great. It did make me laugh actually because Bob, I saw that interview immediately after the race and he said, no, we're going to go for the racing post. So uh, when, when you sponsor some races, you do get, uh, you do, like, don't know, so be the Hennessy, you do get uh, some credit about 10 years after you stopped uh, supporting it. So yeah, looks like he could be going to Donny. Yeah, which would be very exciting. Um, and Kevin, before we move away from France, because there are some hot topics to discuss and we can't discuss all the racing this weekend. Um, but I do want to give a mention to seven furlong specialist, Kin Ross. I mean, that was his race and he bolts in. He kind of did what I, could, I guess his price and his supporters expected him to do. But he's now four to one from six to one for the champion sprint. But he's a seven furlong specialist, isn't he? Through and through. He seems to be Vanessa and in fairness, like this, this horse has always looked potentially like a real one. Like God, you you're if it's worth going back watching his debut, you know, he looked like an absolute rock star that day. And he went to the, the bird temperaturity on at Newcastle when it was transferred there, disappointed, and he just went missing for a while and they ended up gelding him. And now they're probably regretting that. <laughs> it's it's one of those that um did he did he come good you know because he was gelded or just did he come good of his own accord? Um, There's no point with, regretting that decision, Kevin. He can't stitch his bollocks back on it. Job is done. Yeah, gonna... <laughs> in, 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 indeed, indeed. But um, yeah, Sonic Sonic Kingman, um, Group One winner now with Anaheim. That's just me being 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 me. <laughs> so, he can't look it, back. As it, as Aidan no. O'Brien said in that excellent interview in regards to Luxembourg, it was one of the interviews in the Racing Post. I thought the Racing Post did a really good job in the build-up to the arc, but one of the interviews they did was with Aidan O'Brien, David Jennings, and it was actually very good. And he points out in that that you just can't look back in life, Kevin. Don't look back. And it's a good lesson for us all. You were damning yeah. DJ a faint praise there, wouldn't you? Just say, he did an interview with David Jennings, and it was actually quite good, as if you were expecting <laughs> Jennings to write crap. Right. Yeah. You always, you, you just, 
Tony, don't make me out to be And that's subconscious bi uh, bias against yeah. DJ. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can imagine when you're when when you're Aiden O'Brien, you're so much in front of you, like looking behind it isn't a big option. Yeah, <laughs> that, is that is you're true. You just drown. You just drown in what's what the, the water you're currently in. If you're trying to think too yeah. much about what's got coming forward, but uh, no, look really impressive. Um, ground suit well, bolted up. Yeah, you know we we know that the seven furlong program is a bit tricky for these horses, but. Um, it could be interesting over a mile if they ever if they ever wanted to go to America if they thought he'd get away with the ground. Um, but yeah, seven furlongs in Europe is probably going to be his his, his number one um, set of preferences. I think. Yeah, it's a funny division to be a specialist in because the the program is a little off. But anyway, um, like I say, he did what I think everyone expects him to do, and I was pleased to see him get his Group One. Uh, let's move away from the racing. I think you all happy to leave the other stuff that was on the running order. No, yeah, everyone's nodding away. Fine. Because hot topics from the week, obviously there was an incident, well, the biggest topic of the week involves Christophe Soumillon, the incident in France in which he shoved his elbow into the ribs of Ross Orion in a race and Ross fell off, had a pretty nasty fall. Christophe Soumillon has been given two months ban for said bizarre, dangerous and pretty extraordinary race manoeuvre. Um, God, I don't even know, like, where to start with this reaction, I guess, to the incident, Tony, mm. I think like any, everyone was shocked, right? Like I've not seen something like that happen in a race before. Yeah, it's interesting because nothing really kind of like offends me in life, really. But I looked at that and I just thought it did just look awful, didn't it? I mean, obviously, and you know, for the grace of God, Ross Orion could have been badly injured, but and I, and on balance, I think two months is probably fair. But I mean, some people just obviously want him, you know, banned for life or banned for years in, in terms of years, not months. And, you know, you can see it now, but in racing, we judge, we judge everything from what happened instead of what may have happened. Now, if he does, if he gives him a nudge like that and Ross Orion sits tight, does it even get mentioned? Does he get two days? Does he get four days? Why do we always view everything in racing uh, and transgressions in racing in in terms of you know what actually happened as opposed to what should be happening? Like Kevin always drums uh, bangs the drum about just saying doesn't matter if you know if if a horse you know gets wiped if if a horse wipes another um, a jockey wipes another jockey out by veering a horse across and if um, Paul Hannigan at Ascot, nothing really happens. He gets his ban. If he brings something down, then we'll throw the book at him. It's, it's, mm. we, we have to be kind of like consistent in what we do. I, seriously, I mean, um, and what you'll find is, and what we have found here is obviously there's jockeys in the media have gone and just not, they are making allowances for what he did. I mean, Ruby had in very, very quite pertinent thing. He, he mentioned that the perfect power in the Commonwealth Cup where Sumion did a, a similar kind of like easing out. Uh, Jason Weaver explained it, just saying, you know, Russell Ryan actually initiated it by taking Christoph's uh, Sumion's. He wasn't, you know, wasn't exonerating Sumion at all. And he, he he actually said two months was, you know, was was pretty much on the money. And I pretty much agree with that now. But so I just thought, I thought the reaction was kind of like strange from some of the jockeys, given that they could be on the receiving end of something like that. And so I asked somebody, a, and he was a jump jockey, so you know. I, and I was just saying, I said, "Is is this is this reaction? Is that what most jockeys think?" And he just said, 
He actually thought the reaction was quote-unquote. He thought it was nuts. He just thought it was an overreaction. He just think he said that happens all the times in jumps racing. He said it's quite prevalent um, in Ireland. It's quite it's quite pre- uh, prevalent in really big handicaps like Cheltenham where you're jostling for room and you are using your arms. But again, if it does go on to that degree, and I obviously I've never noticed it before at all, we, we have to kind of like stamp it out. We don't want to be waiting to a situation like this whereby someone nearly could have been seriously, seriously hurt for them to throw the book at him. And they haven't done here, but yeah, I mean, I, I've got I've got some problems with the way it was reported afterwards. Immediately after on social media, was just saying, oh, ban him immediately, throw the book at him. Um, they should yeah, be but that's paid. social be... media, Tony. We're used to that now. That's no, the but these, these, were like... se- these were senior journalists, like uh, Lee Motter said. Ollie Bell was just saying, oh, they should be paying for the horses' travelling fees, etc., and lost earnings and things like that. And just say, I, I think there's a bit of, you know, if that was Frankie uh, Frankie Dettori or... I think that was Ryan Moore doing it. I think the reaction would have been a bit more muted about, you know, throw the ban, uh, throw the book in years, ban him now, ban him quickly, ban him for a long time. But yeah, clearly the incident was, could have been horrendous. But I just come yeah. back to it. I mean, if Ross Ryan sits tight, is it even going to get noticed? And if he, if he does sit there and, uh, you know, and, and, and doesn't come off, mm. he probably gets two yeah. days and we're just kicking the can down the road, aren't we? Yeah, that, that is a really interesting point because that was some of my takeaways listening and reading some of the social stuff on social media and listening to some of the comments specifically from the ex-jockeys, Kevin, that like Tony said there, you know, it was, it was it's so shocking because he fell off, obviously. But like, is that just the race manoeuvre that's gone a bit wrong? He's just given it too much of a nudge at just the wrong time when, when Rossa was unbalanced, so Rossa's fallen off. I, I kind of suddenly suddenly started thinking, God, are the, are these little maneuvers happening in races, but we just don't see it. Like we're just not we're just not in tune to it. We don't see it. it happens in big field handicaps like Tony's touched upon, and this is one of those maneuvers that went horribly wrong. And now we're all up and up for all about it. Um, there's so there's so much in this one. I see you could talk about it for a long time, couldn't you? Um, like look, it is it is fair to say that things like things like this can happen quite a bit and you see right. them and they, they, they don't have as extreme consequences as this but th- this was this was this was a more extreme version of what you tend to see happening like this okay. was a, a, like a highly aggressive version uh, of what pe- those some of those jockeys might have been alluding to like and look anyone that you know has played a contact sport can probably empathize like sometimes you, in, in in a sport when you're when you're on the field of battle as such and something irks you in the moment you can do something that, that you'd be ashamed of immediately you know you can go over the top in your reaction go too far and the, the half a second after you've done it you go on you know that's not me and I, I suspect that's what's happened here with Sumion. Look, and look, Sumion is renowned as a as a volatile type of character. Always has been, you know, the fiery Belgian. Like that's the top lads. Like he's, he is a bit mad, and he's reacted very aggressively to what he presumably saw as a bit of a slight here of a young jockey coming back and trying to kind of semi take his ground, and he physically reacted very aggressively with a very kind of shocking consequence and TC's right like it's a real bugbear of mine that with, with a lot of instances we see in racing we judge them um, on uh, our our level of reaction is is based on the level of consequence mm-hmm. you know and, and like TC mm-hmm. says if Sumian does the exact same thing overly aggressive 
over the top um, defense of his position and Rossa is leaning his weight into him a little bit, meets him in the middle, gets a little bit unbalanced but stays put, you kind of go, oh, jeez, you know, that, that, that was that, just something happened there. That you was, know, he might get yeah, a good race riding. Yeah, you get a day yeah. or two days or whatever. He might, yeah, get, yeah. He might get a few days afterwards. Um, but then on the complete other side of the scale, if if what happened happened and Ross Wright falls off and breaks his neck or is killed, all of a sudden you're for the exact same action. You know, we're not just talking about Ban and Sumi on for life. We're talking about criminal charges. Mm. You know, it's, mm. an, it's the exact same incident. So look, look, I think they were right to come down hard on him. You just can't do that. You know, I talked there about sportsmen kind of losing their head in the moment. Um, and while you can empathize with it, you know, jockeys, the nature of horse racing, we have to hold them to a higher standard. You can't lose your head like that. You yeah. really can't um, because the, the, the stakes are too high. It's too, there's too much else going on and there's too much scope for serious injury or death. You know, so you just can't accept riding like that. Um, was, was the ban appropriate or not really tricky one you know you look at the rules there governing riding offenses you know all the way up to the, the to the top to the highest level of dangerous riding and that that you know two months essentially is, is way beyond what most jockeys would ever get for a dangerous riding offense if you know under rare occasions they're used but then you, you, you step back another bit and you look at some previous precedents. Uh, the one that came to my mind was Fallon, Stuart Webster, you yeah. know, go back whatever, 25 years ago. You watch back the video of that. You know, they're pulling up after a race, they're trotting, and Fallon grab, grabs hold of his silks, pulls him off, he lands on his feet, you know, and he gets six months, you yeah. know, for violent and improper conduct, yeah. you know. So you're, you're trying, and I've thought about this a lot, but I haven't thought about it enough probably because you're, where does this sit in there? Like this was, this was a much more, day, a le- I suppose, a less violent maneuver, but more dangerous. You yeah. know, so it's really, really tricky. But look, along in the short, you can debate the technicalities to, and debate the penalty, etc. But I think the, the, the line, the, the double line you need to draw under this is you can't do this, anything remotely like this. This is badly, badly wrong. You deserve and should acknowledge that you, you need to be heavily punished for something like this. And the authorities have to come down hard on it. You know, mean, as, as we know, look, everyone knows my opinions on, on, on race riding um, and any form of dangerous or careless riding. I wish people got as animated about, you know, jockeys allowing their mounts to drift in front of, of retreating opposition as, as, uh, as they got about this. Because like Tony says, the reaction was, was extreme from, from professionals as well as the public. And as we've talked about before, with regard to a couple of different incidents in racing, when something quite shocking happens, you almost get on social media in particular, I call it the outrage Olympics, where people start trying to try to outdo each other with how outraged and offended they are with something. <laughs> and and, and I think, it's a serious point. And I think we saw that here. And we, we had some professionals getting involved as well. And I'm not to say it's not justified, but you can just snowball a little bit. Um was two months right? Should he have been stood down immediately? I think France Gallo are going to look at their processes to perhaps give themselves the scope to stand someone down immediately. Um, we know why there is a two-week delay in bans kicking in for jockeys. They have the right yeah. to appeal, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and that, that makes perfect sense. But um, the argument for there being special circumstances whereby it's appropriate to stand them down immediately is there to be made so like i said we could do a whole podcast on this incident the reaction the punishment what we should learn from it etc but my bottom line is like way way over the top had to become down on heavily um for a jockey world class jockey like sumi on top level for a couple of decades now like come on 
you know, you can't react yeah. like that. I think you know, the way, thing way is with, over the, the top. with the two month ban for me, when I was reading a lot of people sort of not happy, thinking that it should be longer, like a ban is there to deter you from doing the thing again, like or anyone else doing that. At two months, I think that's a big enough deterrent. Like I know two, mo- two do- months is an, is an extreme ban for a top jockey. So we talk, yeah. extreme ban for any jockey. You're not allowed work for t- not allowed work in the race course. Was say for two months for the likes of Sumion, who'd be going off jet setting around the world and big money races. Like that's a massive. That is a ma- it is a massive punishment. Yeah, pretty shocking incident. And as Kevin's touched upon, we could go over so much of it, specifically the punishment and the reaction, the reaction from ex jockeys and their observations as well. There's been loads of different angles. But we must move on because we're trying to keep this within an hour. And Tony, we want to give a bit of airtime to another jockey incident that's happened. Um, this time it was actually last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it on the podcast. Mm. But the uh, the incident between John Egan and Haley Turner that happened in the weighing room at Chester yeah. um, and the two-week ban that John Egan got uh, for his behaviour and the language he used and yeah, his behaviour in the weighing room towards Haley Turner. But then specifically, I suppose, the knock-on comment that we need to give is how well the issue with Haley Turner had only six months ago come out pretty negatively towards the Bryony Frost case Um, and now sort of the irony of it given what's happening here with her just just expand on that it's it's like John Egan got banned for 10 days for threatening an abusive language towards Haley Turner after they rode at uh, Chester two Saturdays ago now Mm -hmm. um you know, there's nothing about uh, 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 Haley Turner made a point, so it wasn't misogynistic, it wasn't chauvinistic, it wasn't. It had nothing to do with sex, with, uh, sex uh, anything like that. So, yeah, and, and and that's fine. I mean, if that's the case, it's fine. But you know, John Egan did. You know, after the red mist had, had descended and 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 passed, he did apologise before the end of the meeting. So he got ten days for that, and I'd imagine. I would I imagine that goes on quite a lot between between you know between jockeys. So a bit surprised at the ban, especially with the um with the kind of like apology. But um <clears throat> the, the the reaction on social media to this was really hostile towards Haley. Um and it was obviously all grounded in the fact that you know Haley Turner signed up to you know the the letter from the PGA uh, about you know just saying with the Bryony Frost Robbie Dunn case, it was just like, you know, it's I haven't seen anything like this happening in my 20 odd years, etc. And I actually went back and had a look at the coverage of the, the PGA and, and the Dunn scenario and the Bryony Frost. And it was quite shocking, actually, just going, going back and rereading it about how alienated and how, you know, thrown under a bus Bryony was here. And obviously, Hayley, you know, was, was, there was an announcement from the PHA and some of the jockeys. And I think Haley just, you know, put a name to that as well. So people were linking the two and just say, look, you know, you are being hypocritical here. You were just saying, you know, at the start of last year, you were just saying you've never seen this behaviour before. And in some of the coverage of, of what they said with John Egan, she said, I, you know, I've, I've been seeing stuff like this for 20 years, but you can't do that now. So, yeah, she got really hostile. And what was really quite striking is, a lot of the social media comment just saying, "Oh, you're a hypocrite," etc., came from came from women on uh, on on Twitter on social media as well. So, you know, it was it was quite striking, and I'm I'm surprised it wasn't you know linked to racing post article that Peter Scargill done. I'm surprised that you know the TV analysis of it and TV comment on it didn't it didn't mention didn't link the two because it could well be that Haley Turner in hindsight went back to that Bryony Frost case and just say, "Look, okay." 
I've learned something here. If it does happen again, I am going to call it out. So it could have been linked like that in, in a positive way. Mm. Um, and I've not seen anybody apart from Jack Keane and the Sun, who's got, you know, he can be hit and miss on stuff like that. But to be fair play to him, he, he's not he's not scared and not shy of coming forward and, and venturing opinion, which is all too rare um, in uh, in racing media these days. So. Yeah, I, I thought it should have got a lot more wider coverage than a straight news story because uh, you know, like the, the the social media and Twitter comment was 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 quite hostile towards Haley. Yeah, no, I've I've I noticed that myself. But I think the thing is with these things is you know you live and learn. Maybe as Tony's touched upon there, if Haley was to go back, maybe she'd approach the Bryony Frost situation a bit yeah. differently. I don't know. I I don't. But, know, but, that's the question you know, I'd love to. Love to someone to ask Haley is, are you speaking out now? Because you look back at the Bryony Foss case, what you signed up to, what you said at the time, what jockeys as a whole said at the time, not least the PGA and the likes of John Holmes in the, you know, if Bryony was thought to be, you know, etc. Um, yeah, I just want to, you know, is did that have a bearing on her just saying, you know, I'm going to speak out here in future? Because what I said beforehand on the Bryony Foss case. I regret in hindsight. It could well be she doesn't regret it, but it, it, I just thought it was a, a very decent news angle for some to pick up on. For someone out there to pick up on. But the world keeps turning and uh, maybe Haley will be living and learning. Who knows? But somebody might pick up on that news angle as Tony has touched upon. But that brings an end to our show. No listener questions this week because we had so much to get through with the racing and the other talking points. But they will be back next week as always. And do stay tuned for Thursday's episode of Racing Only Better because that is our 200th episode of the Racing Only Better podcast. So, uh, yeah, it's an anniversary edition. I wonder if anything special will be in the offing there. I actually genuinely don't know. I'll put that out to our boss, Barry. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, everyone. As always, stay tuned for Thursday, Racing Only Better. And have a very good week. It's goodbye from us. <laughs>